As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is presented in part by Portatree. Portatree is a leading manufacturer of practice trees, simulators, and test tracks with quality products designed for racers by racers. I depend on Portatree for my own practice. In addition, today's podcast is presented by Racing RVs. Based near Dayton, Ohio, Racing RVs is your source for quality newer used trucks, motorhomes, and trailers. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, make Racing RVs your first call. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki, and the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcasts and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Luke, how you doing, bud? Well, Jed, as you know all too well, the sportsman racing community is, is hurting today. And there is no worse news than what we have to start today's show with, but it's news nonetheless, and it is at the forefront of the racing world. Yeah, Luke, it's uh, it's an absolute uh, heartbreaking thing to hear of anyone passing on the racetrack and enjoying the sport that we love. But when someone is somewhat close to you that uh, you know you don't you get to see them a few times a year, but it's still pretty special when you see them. It's Hits home a little bit, and, and that happened, unfortunately, yesterday to Thomas Dunford. Thomas passed away in a racing accident at uh, Maryland International Raceway. It's just a terrible, terrible thing for a lot of people today. 
Thomas was one of the most genuine people I've ever met in racing and in life in general. The guy helped everybody he saw a need, and Thomas always did. It was zero personal gain in mind. You know, and, and certainly from my standpoint, putting on races, um, if you put on a big race on the East Coast, you're probably very aware of how Thomas helped those around him, you know, be able to attend and enjoy the big events. He was a guy that, that always helped a lot of people get to the to the marquee races. And Thomas, you know, he was a very giving person, probably one of the most giving I've ever known. And his joy for life was infectious, Luke. Uh, the guy, as you know, just made everybody better around him just by association. I've known Thomas or knew Thomas for 12 years, and I, I can never recall one bad thing that he had to say about anybody. He's just a, a guy that just saw the good in everyone. And uh, his legacy is one that uh, all of us should hope to, to leave behind, but he'll, he'll be missed by anyone that had the pleasure to know him, and uh, I'm definitely on the list. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm not going to sit here today and pretend that Thomas and I were super close, you know, uh, but just like you said, uh, a good man without question, a uh, genuine, always smiling, always uh, kind of the, the the life of the pit, so to speak. So, and it, yep. it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. The one thing, and, and you had alluded to it, that I guess will always kind of stick out for me when I think back and think about Thomas Dunford. Uh, and this wasn't anything that was unique to last year's million dollar race. Like I, I think, as you mentioned it, most of the big dollar races, like he put in a fleet of racers that most of whom wouldn't have entered the event on their own accord. You know what yep. I mean? Like I, it wasn't a, uh, an investment so much on his end or it never felt like it. It was just more of giving someone the opportunity that wouldn't have it otherwise. And the one that sticks out for me was at last year's million dollar race, just because I had talked to Tez Powell quite a bit throughout the weekend. And, uh, Tez had told me, you know, early in the weekend, I got no business being here. I'm, I'm a foot brake racer. And, uh, you know, this is fun, but I'm, I'm going out of my league, you know, whatever the case may be, I ain't got the money to be here. Yeah. And, um, uh, as the story goes, like Tez woke up Saturday morning in his motel room, uh, just expecting to sleep in and get a nice lunch and go out to the track, watch a million dollar race. And, uh, Thomas Dunford called him, says, Hey, get out here, get your truck unloaded. You're in. And that's, how that, you know I mean? That's basically the way that that went. And, uh, yeah. the, the rest was history. Tez ended up running up the event, but would have never even had the opportunity if it wasn't for Thomas. And like you say, that wasn't a unique thing. Like that was a seemingly every event thing, just a, a very gracious, humble man and, and a huge loss for the racing community. Well said, bud. Obviously the, the show has to go on from here, but I, I just want to take a moment. If you would, Jed, and, and for all of our listeners, podcast wise, uh, obviously this isn't in live time, but just recognize a, a brief moment of silence for, for Thomas and his family. Jed, there's no good way to transition into the rest of the show, but, uh, but I think we got to start somewhere. So let's, yeah. uh, let's tell everybody who's hot. He's on fire. It's time for who's hot in sportsman drag racing. Who's Hot in the World of Sportsman Drag Racing is presented by Siebert Performance. Siebert Performance specializes in performance engine building for every aspect of sportsman bracket racing, NHRA sportsman categories, heads-up categories, nitrous, turbo, and blower. Learn more at SiebertPerformance.com. Jed, this week, our Who's Hot 
segment. Uh, we mm-hmm. feature one of your Alabama slammers. Yeah. David Rampey. Mr. Rampey got, scored his 96th NHRA national event crown this weekend in Denver with the win in competition eliminator. And this is just a continuation of what has been a fantastic year. It seemingly every year is fantastic if your name is David Rampey. But to this point this year, the comp win at Denver closed out a perfect national event score for him in competition eliminator. It was his sixth national event, which I think the rules in comp are the same way. It's the last one you can claim was his third win. He's got another win at the national level in Superstock, one Superstock at Atlanta. So four national event wins this thus far the season, which for most racers, touring professional or not, is a season in and of itself. He's added five divisional event wins to this to this point in the season. <laughs> so here we are in July, and David Rampey owns nine NHRA Wallies with the year 2017 stamped on them. That's pretty impressive. Very impressive, Luke, and uh, obviously he's had to make room on the mantle for those uh, nine, but it looks like he's going to have to make room for at least one more. I mean, David's on a phenomenal roll right now and um, just couldn't be prouder for him. Uh, As a kid that grew up in Alabama, watching David come to the local bracket races and compete and then, you know, hearing about him going out on the NHRA tour, you know, I watched him in the late seventies, early eighties, and then mid eighties, I think going out in HRA racing full time and what he's accomplished in the sport as a, a, a true gentleman, a guy that is loved by everybody, respected by everybody. Uh, he's done it the right way and just had a tremendous amount of success. And really guys from Alabama, you know, with us not having any national events or any of those type races in our state it's typically not something that guys from here go do and chase that hard but david did it and he's done it with a lot of success so not only is he hot right now he's been hot for a long time and uh, couldn't be prouder to to know him and and very happy to see the success that he maintains still today yeah who's hot for the last 30 years <laughs> <laughs> definitely david rampy congrats dave Touching base on uh, action from around the country. We will start up at uh, at Maryland at the Super Bowl of bracket racing at MIR. These results, Jed, this reads like a who's who of big dollar bracket racing, does it not? Yes, it does. Uh, Obviously, the bigger names show up at the bigger events, but the Super Bowl had them all from a little bit everywhere. And uh, there were 450 entrants. We're supposed to have like somebody that we hadn't heard of in here. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. But didn't really happen. That didn't happen. That did not happen at all. Wednesday started out with a 10K, as you know, Luke, and Jerry Brewer uh, got the win over Bobby Moat, North Carolina over Georgia, and uh, those guys traveled up to Maryland, made it pay off. And Thursday's 15K, uh, another warm-up type race, if you will, before the 50s got rolling. Just a little 15 Jeff grand Dobbins. warm-up. Yeah, just a little 15 grander, Jeff Dobbins. The second got uh, another win. He just had a, a big win recently, I think, at the uh, Spring Fling. And he got the win over your buddy and mine, Troy Williams Jr., a guy that's no stranger to big money final rounds. And no, a couple of guys having big seasons on the bracket, and in, in Troy's case, on the IHRA trail. Yep. And then Friday, those 50s started, and uh, I, know you, uh, I know you are very familiar with these guys. 
Yeah, big uh, Alan Glatt getting the uh, getting the Friday fifty thousand dollar win. He knocked off Derek Ward in the final. Glatt certainly no stranger to the winner circle for shoot probably as long as David Rampey's been doing it. Alan Glatt as long as bracket racing's been going on. That's sure. a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Glatt adds another uh, another feather in his hat with the uh, fifty thousand dollar win on Friday. And Saturday's 50. All he does is win 50s in Miriam and anything that pays 50 or more. Gary Williams, G-Dub, winner over, uh, I guess you'd call Bobby Spence a local racer. He's, uh, he's established himself on every scene throughout the country, but uh, it all got started for him, I think, right there at MIR in that area. So it was Bobby yeah. Spence uh, taking runner-up honors to, uh, to G-Dub in the Saturday 50 grander. Yeah, G-Dub with another huge win. Uh, again, like you said, all he does is win 50 or more and – Bobby Spence, for those around the country or the world listening that, that don't know him, this guy quietly puts together great seasons every year. He just – guy goes to final rounds and gets it done a lot. So, great job by those guys. And, unfortunately, the there's no Sunday winners to report due to the second round accident that uh, Thomas Dunford was involved in. We we know the story there, so we won't discuss that any further. But a uh, little like a great event for those guys marred by that unfortunately but looks like kyle and wesley another good real good job by them and the mir staff of getting a lot of racing done in a few days yeah it looked like an excellent turnout at what by all accounts is a fantastic facility one that i've personally never been to jed you ever been to mir have not have not i know some good friends at racer on a regular occasion nothing but good to say about it Crisscrossing the country, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about the NHRA Mile High Nationals in Denver. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Chris Whitfield. Chris got the Super Comp Wally for the second consecutive season. Knocked off Gary Wombolt in the final. Obviously, as we'll talk a little bit more with Chris, this is his hometown event. He doesn't get an opportunity to race a whole lot of NHRA national events outside of Denver, but uh, he is making it stick up there on the mountain. Back-to-back Super Comp wins for him. Not going to go through every class again, just trying to hit the high points. The high point for sure, Kevin Helms. Stock win again. Got the win over Scott Wells. Now, for Helms, that's Team Luke, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we knew that, bud. This was, uh, this was a big one. When we, when we did our redraft about a month ago, we talked about how early in the season it looks like it looked as though it was a runaway. What will this be? Potentially fifth. NHRA Stock Eliminator World Championship for Kevin Helms. He started off just on fire. And it's not that he really cooled off. Like, he just didn't go racing a whole lot the last couple of months. And some other guys like Jerry Emmons, like Cooter Hidalgo, like um, Brett Candies, caught fire. And all of a sudden, it is, does not, it still does not look like a foregone conclusion that Helms is going to hoist the Wally at the end of the year. But if he, as a national champion, but if he was going to get it done, where he had room for improvement was within his national score. Coming into Denver, he had been to four national events. He had one win, but he had three early losses. So he was needing, if there was an opportunity to improve, it was on the national side. Well, when you win the race, that's improving about as much as you can improve. <laughs> At this point right now, Kevin Helms has 645 points. And as you guys have heard me say before, if you get 650, you ought to win. He's half a round from there, and we're in July. But if there was a year that it's just going to get ridiculous, stock this year has the makings of getting ridiculous. The, the guys that we just mentioned are subject to put up 650 plus, could tickle 700 Maybe get over that. 
So this Crazy. was a huge win for Helms. And really, with just one national event remaining on the docket, I think he's improving a third-round loss, if I'm not mistaken. That may end up being a crucial event, too. I don't know where that'll be. I don't know if Kevin's continuing on the Western Swing or that last event will come a little bit closer to home. But I still don't think this is over by any stretch of the imagination. But definitely uh, would rather be in Kevin Helms' position than anyone else's, certainly after winning once again at, uh, at Denver. Yeah, definitely would take that when when whomever comes out on top of this stock field this year looks back on it, they're going to know they have accomplished something pretty amazing. So it's going to be fun to watch it play out for sure. And in other news, Luke and Superstock, recent guest on the show, Dan Fletcher, which uh, probably uh, based on downloads and the attention it got, one of the most popular, if not the most popular interview we've had to date. Uh, he was just awesome, a, wasn't he? Man, he was, he was so much fun, so cool and down to earth and was celebrating number 100 and it didn't take him very long to go ahead and get on top of that with another one and get number 101 with the Superstock win over Justin Jenkins. Yeah, Fletch just uh, got the podcast bump. What can we say? You know. Oh, yeah. Come on the show. It's great for you. Heck, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like you say, um, what, two weeks between 100 and 101? And as he mentioned on the show, like the average is like five national events a year. Well, it took him to July to get number one. So it could be rough on the rest of the nature I feel the rest of the way. He's been known to uh, to get hot this time of year out uh, on the Western Swing, so it wouldn't surprise me a bit if he uh, went back to New York with more than just the uh, Mile High Nationals trophy. No, I wouldn't surprise anybody. And over in comp, another major accomplishment, uh, our Siebert Performance Who's Hot driver, David Rampey, scored number 96 in comp, or number 96 national event, and he got it in comp. Just again, what else can we say about David? But he is uh, definitely on pace for 100 here pretty soon, and uh, that'll be another another fun thing to watch play out and where he wins it and uh, get to hopefully get him on and celebrate that as well. Yeah, I don't. coming into 2017, I think everyone assumed that Dan Fletcher would hoist Wally number 100 at some point. I don't know that many people assumed that Rampy would get there this year. He started the season with 92. Eight national event wins in a season is a tall order. Like he's on pace to do it. Like that's it's possible that that happens yeah. this year, which is definitely ridiculous. And especially the way that he's rolling in comp and is certainly a threat to win in either class. I don't think it surprised anybody if he if he knocks that out before the end of 2017. Now, if he continues to to get out there and perform at the level he's performing, you know, comp is a little different category, and I think he's definitely kind of got his groove and on a roll so i could definitely see him grabbing a couple more of those and he's also a, a guy that runs super stock at most every event so wouldn't surprise me at all I hope he does it be fun to watch it happen division one nhra action up in uh, epping new hampshire again not going to go through every uh, single class congrats to all the winners all the finalists without question the one that really stood out to me was super comp as a, a pair of guys that were in chicago just a couple of weeks ago representing division one in the uh, all-stars event sean frick who was a super street representative ed mccleft who was the super comp representative those two met up in the final of super comp with frick getting the win this time around i think that's a couple of uh, divisional event wins thus far this season for sean and uh, I thought it was of note, uh, worth mentioning, that we had a Joe Santangelo sighting. One of yeah. the guys that was uh, on your original team, Jed, got mm. booted on the redraft. 
But uh, really the first time I've seen Joe's name all season, runner-up in stock eliminator. And uh, if that's the kickstart to his season, I would say be on the lookout. That is a very, very talented driver capable of doing it in whatever class he gets into wherever he's headed. So uh, the, the yeah. cat may be out of the bag there. Joe's back. Yep. Happy to see that for Joe, even though I, I did drop him because I wasn't sure he was going to chase very many. But uh, happy to see him get back on the winning track or get close to that anyway. But of note, I do need to make a mention here, Luke, in the super stock category, uh, Billy Pyers, which is a brother to our good buddy, uh, DJ Pyers, um, got the win in super stock. So good for Billy. Just want to mention that those guys hadn't got to do a, a ton of racing of late but uh, he made it pay off and got the super stock win that's hometown event for those fellas is it not yeah it is uh, if there is such i guess it's the closest to them <laughs> so then we get out on the, the left coast luke for the uh, division seven lucas oil race in sonoma yeah, we like to go back and forth with maryland denver new yep. hampshire california we got an interview coming up from denver so we're all over the place but um nationwide, other- nationwide. This theme here is uh, is <laughs> is killing me, man. I, my man, original team member, Team Jed member Don Mazier, got the win in Top Sportsman over Paul Gladden, and I scrapped my whole Top Sportsman team. So um, that might that have was... been a little bit of a knee jerk in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably was, but I mean, you're one, two, and three. So I mean, what was I going to do? Yeah, good point. Mazir with the win and top sportsman uh, of note out there. My man, Big Steve, part of Team K&N, Steve Williams, got the win in Super Gas this time around. Beat out Ken Mostwich in the final. Moss is on a roll, too. That's uh, right on the heels of his Jags All-Stars victory in Super Gas. So congrats to both of those guys. And want to give a shout-out to our buddy, Harlem. Ryan Harum uh, got the Super Street win. He's having a heck of a year for as little as he gets to race. Got some work commitments that keep him from going racing and probably as much as he would like. But uh, he got the Super Street win over Jed. Over Ryan Glacon. Is that right? I don't know. I should know this because he wins all the time. I'm going to say it's Giacone. <laughs> sorry. Oh, Ryan. that's an that's yeah, an I. That's yeah. an I. Right, right. Yeah, so sorry, yeah. Ryan G. I don't know, Ryan. I apologize. Yeah, we should know this because, like I said. Maybe he don't listen. <laughs> let's, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> and if you're Ryan's buddy, don't tell him. Or tell <laughs> us how to pronounce his name. We'll get it right next time because I'm sure he'll be back there again. Stock, Brian McClanahan knocked off Gerald Stein. Super stock. Justin Lamb, baby J, got the win over Brad Burton in a uh, matchup of former multi-time NHRA world champions. Last race we'll cover, well, last race we'll cover for the the big cars, quote-unquote, was right in your neck of the woods, Jed. What happened in Huntsville last weekend? Yeah, we had that, but I do want to give a shout-out real quick to Team K&N member Greg Boutte for his win in Super Comp. So, Boo! Uh, good to see my buddy, Barry. Bote getting it done but yeah Huntsville Dragway uh, did have a couple of 10 granders super super hot but uh, had a good crowd on hand not sure the car count but uh, it went well for them Saturday's 10k winner was Ryan Lane over our buddy Tracy Guffey Guff doing wheelies and getting him a runner-up spot and Sunday was uh, another couple of good friends of ours Todd Sensony getting a win over Brandon Taylor so congratulations to those guys and uh, and Certainly Huntsville Dragway for getting it pulled off. Yeah, and the last race that we want to touch on from last weekend is one that we teased a little bit in last week's show. And, and Jed, when Mark posted in the in the uh, the notes for our show, it was just the headline or the teaser from the press release from the Eastern Conference Finals. And I'm just going to read it just like it's presented because I want to okay. get the reaction 
from you and from our listeners that I had for those of us that don't follow junior dragster racing all that closely. Here it is. Cade Poe continued to add to his record as the winningest driver in the history of the NHRA Summit Racing Junior Drag Racing League's National Championships slash Conference Finals when he added a fifth Wally to his collection. Poe was joined in the winner's circle by seven first-time champions. Sean Sansevarino won the age 6-9 category. Brady Snack, 10-year-old winner. Wyatt Palmatier, 11-year-old winner. Savannah Bilton, who won the 12-year-old class, Richie Fluck, who won the 13-year-old class, Ashley Pumphrey, 14-year-old winner, and Zach Lewis, winner of the 16- and 17-year-old class. The team from Mason-Dixon Dragway took home the team championship. Jed, I didn't stutter. This young man, Cade Poe, is 15 years old and just won his fifth conference championship in the junior dragster arena like how crazy is that well it is crazy Luke. you know because you, you think about obviously racing kids his own age so it's not like the older guy went out and beat up on the kids or any of that stuff racing people that that should be of of equal understanding to him and he's just 15 so how many chances did he had started maybe when he was 8 maybe <laughs> right could have started could have started at 9 or 10 who knows yeah and this year in particular he won the western conference finals like a little over a month ago in Tulsa and then he's from California they decided to make the trek to Bristol for the eastern conference finals he won that too i'm going to assume that he hasn't raced in both coasts finals every year so like you said if he started at 8 what's he had six seven opportunities he's won five times and for those that are not familiar with the junior scene i mean this is their premier event this is this is, this is the one they right. yeah. this is the one they fight for all year long and and go to the races when there's a chance of rain or when it's a thousand degrees or whatever so they can make these teams and go to these this event and it is their biggest stage gains the most attention and has the most participants, and to come out on top five times is is really incredible. Did I mention that he won the 14-year-old bracket at the Western Conference Finals in Tulsa a month ago? <laughs> and obviously he had you a did. birthday between now and then because now he's in the 15-year-old bracket, Now I just win that too. That, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know, Cade Poe. Like, I want to have him on the show. This is unreal. Five yeah, of these. He's 15. Yeah, it's it's truly remarkable <laughs> what he's accomplished at such a young age. We definitely need to get him on the show. Yeah, I, let's let's get our feelers out. Let's make that happen. All-state news. I think in maybe the episode that we recorded a week early when we had Clay on, I think maybe the all-state roster for the bottom bulbers had not been released, and then the next week we had a new roster, and we didn't mean to just like leave the bottom bulb guys out. We figured we'd get to you at the end. I think we're at the end. So, without further ado, let's roll out this uh, this list of bottom bulb studs from across the country. Yeah, and Luke, you know, uh, I'm a, a foot breaker at heart, and that's where I cut my teeth and, and grew up doing it for many, many years, although I've moved over a little bit lately. This is going to be a ton of fun for me to watch play out, and it's uh, some really, really talented people. Uh, my Alabama Slammers has got Adam Davis. Arkansas is Artie Green. California is C.W. Hofer. Florida is Tim Butler. I mean, we're talking legends here. Uh, Georgia is Jacob Rutledge. Uh, Illinois is Brett Williamson. 
Indiana is Marty McKinney. Kentucky is Lucas Walker. Louisiana is Travis Lipscomb. I mean, I don't want to pull in the lanes by any of these guys. And Maryland has yet to name their participant. Uh, Mississippi is my uh, partner at the WFC and the SFC, Steve Stites. New Jersey is Jim Young. New York is Thomas Fletcher. North Carolina is Steve Foley. Ohio is Randy Biddle Jr. This is crazy. Oklahoma is Corey Lytle. South Carolina is Jay Norris. Tennessee is Josh Green. Texas is the foot-breaking fool, Jay Robinson. Virginia is Seth Phillips. Kansas is John Moggins. Michigan is Chris Cadle. Pennsylvania is Nick Bauman. Missouri has not named their driver yet. Iowa is Colin Hurley. Uh, Nebraska is Jake Smutney. Ontario, Canada is Drew Bushner. It could be Buckner. I'm sorry. I'm not real sure. Uh, Minnesota is Jason Charlton. South Dakota is Corey Heckinglable. Is that right? Sounds good. Boy, that one's tough. And Wisconsin is Steve Stockton. So, wow, this is that's going to be nasty. And it's bottom bub, so it's it's uh, you're able to run a trans brake with no delay box, or you can swap feet, or you can do it stocker style with a rev limiter uh, tied to the brake pedal or to your thumb or whatever. But uh, we'll be leaving off the bottom bub, no less. This may be the most ridiculous field of any of that we've been through, Jed. This, I'm kind of, I guess we're alike somewhat in that, um, for me, it's been several years since I was what I felt like a truly competitive bottom bulb slash foot brake racer. But I can go through like half of this list and these guys haven't beat me. Like they beat me when it hurt. You know what I mean? Like I've lost final <laughs> rounds or, you know, races that mattered to, I'm telling you like half of this field. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is, if you compare this to the top bulb dragster or maybe the, the 890 category, again, like maybe these aren't names that are familiar to everyone across the country, like a, like a, you know, Sherman Adcock, Tommy Phillips, things like that are. These, this yeah. is top to bottom. This may be the most talented roster of the whole shootout. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Uh, probably when you look at the the list, it is definitely the most accomplished probably within their field of any class we got. And so I you know I, I know what's coming. Who's the most accomplished? Yeah, I'm looking through. I, I don't know that there's one that stands out. Where would you go? Well, the most accomplished simply due to the amount of years that he's been doing it's going to be Tim Butler. Tim is a guy that's won for God knows how long since they even knew how to claim a winner. I mean, this guy's been doing it forever. He is truly a legend. He still today is very, very strong on the bottom. When you look at maybe what events somebody has won. Yeah, I who's think most if you were going to go most accomplished, I, I, you definitely could make an argument for Butler. I think you got to put Stone Cold in there, too, uh, as far as just winning – Every major event that there is to win on the bottom over the course of, what, the last two decades? There ain't much that Steve Stites hasn't done. No, Steve's accomplished more than most on the list and done it with inferior equipment. Uh, no offense to him, but, you know, he did it in Cavaliers. Uh, Street-driven Chevrolet, Cavaliers. Yeah, <clears throat> for, for many, many, many years. So he is definitely cream of the crop when it comes to this list. But so, Luke, we... we Obviously, my man Adam Davis is my 
is my favorite to go to the final and win it for the Alabama Slammers. But my history, my pattern has been not to pick my guy. So if if Adam can't be picked, and that'd be the only reason I don't choose him right here, I, I got two guys that that are going to be really hard to beat, and it's going to be Steve Stites, and it's going to be Lucas Walker. Those two guys are going to be in the middle of this thing one way or another. Hard to bet against either one of those. Man, I saw the show that RBJ put on in Vegas, and it seems like that's an every weekend thing. That's a good pick. I've seen the foot-breaking fool, Jay Robinson, do it for years. Man, (laughs) yeah, I'm tempted to pick like one of the two or three people on this list that I don't know just because like I can't pick between the ones that I do. Let me go with, let me go South Carolina. I'll go Jay Norris. Yeah, Jay's uh, Jay's a guy that's ultra talented and uh, he'll deal them fits for sure. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. That was, that was a good pick, real good pick, if if my slammer can't get it done. Yeah, no, hard to bet against AD, hard to bet against anybody in the field. But I gotta figure. Yeah, your, your team Illinois guy is no slouch. Brett Williamson is bad news. That's a good point. I'm trying to let him go a little bit incognito. I wasn't going to pick him out here. Put the added pressure on him. He puts enough pressure on himself. <laughs> he does. Racing RVs is heavily involved in sportsman drag racing. They headline the NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman Series. They sponsor all of the SFG Promotions events, including the World Series of Bracket Racing, the Super Bowl of Bracket Racing, and the Powerball event. Racing RV sponsors racers including Austin Williams, Disco Dean Carnes, and our own Luke Bogacki. And they present this podcast that you're listening to. In short, Racing RVs is invested in sportsman drag racing. So when the time comes for you to make an investment in your own RV or trailer, we encourage you to support the company that supports sportsman drag racing. That's Racing RVs. They do it all. New coaches, used units, financing, trade-ins, consignments, you name it, they can take care of you. Visit online at RacingRVs.com. If you followed or participated in the off-season practice tree challenge on Facebook that we did back in February, um, you know that I am a huge advocate of routine practice. And the best way to do that, to get the most out of it, is to practice on a real LED tree in your own race car using your own pedals and or buttons. Porta Tree makes doing all of that easy. Their new Eliminator next-gen practice tree has more relevant features than any other tree on the market, and its touchscreen makes it easy to use. The next-gen is compatible with both the Portatree National Event Tree and the Portatree Mini. Best of all, Portatree offers vehicle connections that allow you to easily plug these devices into your race car so you can use your own button and even your own delay box. For more information, call Portatree at 1-800-541-7613. Joining us now is one of the most talented racers on the West Coast. He is now a two-time NHRA Mopar Mile High Nationals winner, most recently getting a win this weekend in Supercomp. Please join us in welcoming Chris Whitfield to the show. Chris, how you doing, bud? Doing good. How you guys doing? Awesome, man. Thanks for joining us. Very well, thanks for having me. Um, really excited to be here with you guys. Yeah, man, good to have you on, and, and congratulations. Back-to-back wins at your hometown national event. I know you've had, a, as we record this, what, maybe 24 hours to kind of digest that, but uh, what's it mean to you at this point? 
Yeah, I'm definitely still digesting. It's one of those things that I figured the odds were against me coming into it. And I know there's other people that have done it winning back-to-back years and, and even three or four years in a row at a certain race. But, you know, I was there to give it my best shot and see what happened. And it turned out good. So it's definitely still setting in the fallout of winning a race like that. You know, all the congratulations, the pictures, the videos. It's one of those feelings that it carries on for a while. So I'm I'm just getting started on that high and going to ride it out as long as we can. Chris, you travel around quite a bit. Is it is it more difficult to win at home because of all of the connection you have to the, the place, the people? Uh, is it put a little more added pressure on you? There's a little more added pressure, more from myself, more than anything, I guess. It's the Mopar Mile High Nationals is the national event that I grew up and I've I've been to the last 27 of them and growing up watching my dad race at every single one of them. It's just the race, you know, it's the one that, that I want to take care of for myself and for my dad and for my family and everyone that's been involved from the start. So really the pressure just comes from within that, you know, that's, that's kind of like the bucket list race. I want to get that one checked off and then we can kind of move on to the next one, but that's really where the pressure comes from. We're just looking through kind of round by round on this, this event this weekend, I would assume any time that you square off with Gary Stinnett, that's a big round. And your final round opponent is certainly no slouch. I don't know if that's uh, if Gary Wombolt's necessarily a national name, but particularly in your neck of the woods, that's a bad dude. Is there one particular round that stands out to you as kind of a key round or maybe a round you got away with one or the, the kind of deciding factor in the event? Well, I think it kind of pegged the two that, that were the biggest rounds for me. Obviously, anytime you're going up against a guy like Gary Stinnett, you're going to have your hands full. He's got the number 10 on the side of his hood scoop, so you're not going to have an easy time. And that's probably the one that I got away with the most, too. I left the the starting line 30 on the tree, and obviously Gary's not going to be any worse than that. So I knew I was in trouble. So I see him coming around me at the top end, so I dumped the anchor, and and he doesn't quite catch it well enough. So I kind of got away with that one. And then, like you said, Gary Wombolt. Everybody knows him around here. He's another one of those guys that I've grown up watching race and kind of idolized him. He was always the guy winning the championships and making the speeches at the end of the year. So uh, to race with him at that level is pretty cool for me because that's a dream coming true. And I have so much respect for Gary that, you know, I figured when I saw him in the final for the second year in a row, I thought, man, it's probably going to be his turn. But let's go ahead and block that one out. I didn't realize that you two uh, squared off in the final last year as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another thing where the odds were kind of against me, but, or at least in my mind, they weren't looking so good that, you know, when you have two good racers going head to head, odds are you're going to, you're going to swap back and forth. So I was definitely treading lightly there. Right. Right. Uh, In it, in, I guess, addition to having the same final round opponent, is there much to compare this year's win to, to the one a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I kind of had two different themes coming into the different races. Last year was my first national event final. And what I really wanted to do was take in the moment because you get to one and you don't really know if you're ever going to make it back. So I took a second at that race to take that deep breath, look up in the crowd. We always pack the stands at Bandemir Speedway for the nationals. Just take in the moment and really enjoy it. And so that was the theme for last year. And then this year thinking that the odds were against me, well, I don't want to listen to to this voice inside my head that says my chances are diminished this year because I won it last year. <laughs> so really the focus was stick your head down, block it all out, just do your job. 
and just take it one round at a time. You've been there before. And it was just a different, different sort of mindset for the two different races. And it turned out well both times. So I don't know what I'm going to do next time. But blocking out the nerves this year was definitely a, a fact. Very cool. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just kind of going off of memory here. Last year was your first national event final, but you nearly made it in the final of both classes, correct? Yeah, uh, I lost a close race to a good buddy, Kevin Moore, who's a multi-time divisional champion. He's won the nationals several times in different places, Vegas, Topeka, Bandemir. I believe that one came down to four thousandths of a second in the semifinals of the Super Gas. And then this year, too, we got down to eight cars in Super Gas and uh, got caught staring at the tree coming down. That one didn't turn <laughs> out too good. But uh, it, it definitely helps to have the, the two cars going and kind of get into a groove that way. More laps down the racetrack definitely helps. As a local there to Denver, Chris, like travel is difficult for you guys. Like you, you, I guess, fairly centrally located, but nothing outside of Vandermeer is particularly close. Like how many national events a year do you get to even attend? For the last few years, the one at Vandermeer Speedway has been about the only one we go to. Really? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've got... We've got a few options as far as like going to Vegas. That's about 12 hours. We can go to Phoenix. That's 14-ish hours, something like that. Oh, my goodness. And that's really about as close as it gets. <laughs> so we kind of have to pick and choose our battles and, and really hammer out like what we want to do for the year, what our goals are, what direction we want to take it. And lately, we've been doing the bracket racing. So the, the nationals and divisionals kind of take a backseat to that. Just for the simple fact that when you do travel 12 hours, you get to race three or four times in a weekend as opposed to one big race. For sure. Obviously, <laughs> you know, on the national side, you're making the most of your opportunities. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, you are. Yeah, we've definitely been fortunate. You know, Chris, to us each East Coasters back here, I mean, we think Denver and, and Phoenix and Vegas are yeah, all like right, 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 right together, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, a three-hour ride each way? Right. Man. You guys are a long way from everything. We are geographically in, like you said, centrally located, but really in a horrible spot. I mean, we've got Division 5 tracks that are 16, 20 hours away, and it's like, how can they really be in our division? We're actually closer to a bunch of the Division 7 races where we're at, but that's just part of the game as far as you know how the division is located, and we actually have a bunch of guys that claim Division 7 because it's easier to travel that way. So... Like I said, it really comes down to your goals. What do you want to focus on? We have a bunch of racers that, that do the divisionals and the nationals, and then we have our side that does the bracket races, and it just really comes down to what you have more fun doing and what your goals are. Sure. Chris, one thing that I was really intrigued by as part of this event, each season, or at least that I'm aware of the past two seasons, you're sponsored by Champion Spark Plugs, and you essentially take over the social media department for Champion during the event. Tell us a little bit about that, and I would assume that in addition to, uh, you know, like more stuff that you've got to keep up with, like that's got to be an added pressure as well, is it not? It was a little bit of added pressure, and that's why I feel so fortunate to have success the last two years doing the champion takeover the same weekend that I win the biggest race of the year. <laughs> it's just good, like it's a good setup. You should do that every year. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously, I'm going to do the champion spark plugs takeover for Mile High Nationals every year now, so watch out for me there. <laughs> But so basically for anyone that doesn't know what the champion takeover is, it's it's just what it sounds like. I get to take over the Twitter feed, the Instagram feed and the Snapchat feed as a part of team champion. It's something that all the team champion members get to do, whether you're a boat racer, a dirt track racer, snowmobiles, whatever. They pick a racer and they let them take over the social feed and, and kind of get 
to take the followers of the champion feeds on a ride with them throughout the weekend. So I get to show them a little bit behind the scenes and it's kind of cool because you get to market yourself as well as the champion brand. Mm. And it's definitely a really good opportunity. And one of the coolest things is that it's a grassroots program. So anybody that's listening right now, you can go on to champion and there's a search for a champion contest that they have. You can make a video or write an essay or post some pictures. If you're selected as a finalist, you're selected to the team. And then you get to network with all the champion people, all these people from different sports, and really anybody can do it. So if you like getting paid to go drag racing, like I really encourage a lot of participation in this just because it's a really great opportunity. If, if you like being a sponsored racer, it does come with a little added pressure, but it's, it's also a motivator and it's also a great way to share your story with other people and get some support from a big corporate company at the same time. I've seen that contest in the past, Chris. Is that how you got started with Champion yourself? Yeah. So three years ago, I actually made, I think it was a two minute long video. It actually took a lot of work. And since then, it backed it down to where you, but when I got in, it was with a video. It's still out on YouTube somewhere. You can look it up, search for a champion, Chris Whitfield. Yeah, that's interesting. I know that I've followed along with that champion contest in the past, but I didn't realize, is that how you got started with champion yourself, Chris? Yeah, so actually about three years ago, they have the same contest going back then that they have now. And what I did was submit a two-minute video. It's still out there on YouTube. You can check it out. Chris Whitfield, search for a champion. But basically, there's a public round of voting and a judge's round of voting that chooses 10 finalists. And I didn't actually win the grand prize, but just being a finalist, I was elected to team champion. And then from there, you get to market with all different kinds of racers, build yourself up with the support of a corporate brand behind you. So it's a pretty cool opportunity that definitely encourage everybody to check it out. No question. Yeah, really neat. Like what goes into renewing it each year on your end then? Do you have to go back through the contest process again or are you? A lot of it depends on your involvement with Champion while you're a sponsored driver, the communications that you have back and forth. It's really a, a basic bare bones type of sponsorship to where it's like, if you market the company, you're welcome back next year. And if you don't market the company, you're not welcome back next year. So it's it's really not difficult to post results and market the company like you should as a sponsored driver. So they keep tabs on all the drivers. And really, it's it's fun to give the updates and to be a part of the posts and all the stuff that they do on social media. And like I did the takeover, it's really cool to do that sort of stuff. So it's not hard to stay on the team um, if you're committed promoting like you should right and their program spans over all aspects of motorsports correct yeah if it runs on a spark plug they probably have a sponsored driver for it. <laughs> everything from nascar i mean i was taking pictures with team coletta drivers this weekend because they're part of team champion tj coughlin doug coletta all those guys and then everything from snowmobiles boats lawnmower racing you name it if it's got a champion spark plug they're probably involved in it somehow you sound like you're representing them well, and I guess winning uh, Mopar high, Mile High Nats every year uh, gets you invited back quickly as well. <laughs> yeah, right place, right time. <laughs> Chris, you're a Bandamere regular, but like we talked about earlier, you, you've been all over the country. You know, I've, I've raced you myself in Alabama, so you, you get out quite a bit. Bandamere is a very unique place in how you have to set your car up. So talk a little bit about the unique challenges that, that you face when you're racing there on the mountain? Well, there's definitely unique challenges and it varies from weekend to weekend. And it's one of those things that I don't want to understate 
but at the same time, I don't want to overstate. So I'll try to find a happy medium, but it gets talked a lot about where we have this altitude. It messes with your car setup and everything. But at the same time, you see all the same names winning here that you see everywhere else. You can look at the Mile High Nationals results from this weekend and just see it. Dan Fletcher, Helms, Rampy, all these guys are winning here. Obviously, it's not their first rodeo at Bandemir Speedway, but the best racers are still rising to the top because the unique obstacles that we face here aren't necessarily something that a good racer isn't going to have any trouble with. Obviously, there's the car setup. When you come up here, your engine's basically breathing through a straw. So anyone that hasn't <laughs> raced at altitude, you're probably digging through your jet set looking for jet sizes that you probably have never used before. There's obviously torque converters. There's you. It's not uncommon at 2 in the morning to hear cars hitting the stall with guys you know, checking the torque converter to see if they got the right one in or not. One of the things that I have a lot of trouble with, too, going from up here to down at a sea level track is actually my throttle rhythm for top end racers. It's it's one of those subtle things where here at Bandemir, I can give it three good rips at the finish line, and that's worth about two to three hundredths. Well, when I go do that down at sea level, I give the stripe up, go over the dial by six and look like an idiot. And I've done that <laughs> several times. So little little fine things like that um, will definitely make a difference. And then obviously we're on a hogback right where the Rocky mountains turn into kind of like rolling Hills and the weather likes to build up right behind that hogback and then screws up everything on the other side of it. So we see everything from snow and hail to extreme heat, wind, tornadoes. I mean, you name it, we've had it at Bandemir Speedway and this is stuff that changes on a daily basis. You'll wake up in the morning at 6,000 foot density altitude and by the time you're racing first round you're north of like 9,000 foot and then by the time you get to the finals you're back down to 7,000 foot (laughs) so you really have to commit to chasing the weather because we have such drastic swings whereas at least in my experience racing at sea level tracks you don't get the crazy swings and you can see guys winning that just paint the number on the side of the car and just let yeah. it go because they know where it's going to run. That doesn't happen very often at Bandemir Speedway just because of the weather swings and, and everything that goes into that. Yeah, yeah from, sounds very challenging. From the outside looking in, it's always looked like a, a the premier like driver's track because it just looks like it's very difficult for everybody to get dialed. Which is, that, is that fair? I would definitely say that's fair, and that's, that's one of the reasons when I'm racing a guy like Gary Stennett, he comes up to Bandemir and has three weather stations and seven different prediction softwares cranking out numbers. And like, he's got it figured out and he's had his way with racers at Bandemir Speedway for a long time. The analytical guys are very good because they see things in the weather that are subtle, but make big differences. You also have to look at the long-term forecast. If it rained yesterday and it's sunny today, we've had cars slow down a 10th for a time run because the sun came out and brought all the moisture out of the ground and, you know, we, we, we're all thinking that our cars just broke. Well, we just slowed down a 10th because vapor pressure just spiked up crazy. And it's curveballs like that that it can be really frustrating, but it levels the playing field out a little bit. But like I said before, the, the top names, the premier drivers, they, they seem to find their way to the final rounds for a reason. And I think it's just their commitment to a game plan and, and their knowledge of, of weather and being able to chase that around that gets them there. 
Yeah, our, our buddy Adam Davis went out there from Alabama years ago in a stalker, and shortly after he got there, actually I think it was the next morning, he got there late that night, and I, I hit him up and asked him how it was going, how he liked it, and he said, I'm still trying to figure out how to get the motor home to idle. He said, <laughs> said this, this place is rough. <laughs> yeah, everything's messed up. You start your car up here, and you think it's broke. You think you're down a cylinder because there's <laughs> yeah. so much less horsepower, and that's just the way things sound up here. It's just a little bit different world. And then you go down to sea level and, oh, man, you just got all this power and everything's so responsive. And it, it messes with your driving style a little bit. So for me, bouncing from Bandemir down to Alabama or wherever else, it it's it takes a little bit of adjustment just to get used to everything. I bet. I'm sure. All right, Chris, we always try to uh, finish up our uh, our interviews with a little bit of rapid fire. So these are just fun, quick questions meant for quick answers. You up for it? All right, here we go. All right. The first thing you do when you get out of bed each morning is? Think about not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, uh, you're, you're not a guy that strikes me as a, you know, a huge food lover, but everybody loves food. What's your favorite food? Chipotle. Oh. I know you've done, um, behind the wheel, done a little bit of everything and very accomplished in everything, but quickly, super comp, super gas, or bracket racing? What's your favorite? Super comp. Hmm. It's a tough one to win. <laughs> Feels good when you do it. No doubt. Chris, if you didn't race as a hobby, you'd what? Oh, be a loser. Man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'd be doing if I wasn't racing. No, no offense to our non-racing listeners. <laughs> I don't know. it, Man, if I didn't race, I'd mow the lawn on the weekends or something. I don't know. Yeah, what do, what do <laughs> people tough. do on the weekends, right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Quote, unquote, normal. Yeah, that's, that's weekday work for us. But on the weekends, shoot, I'd be bored out of my mind. <laughs> Chris, I don't know if you're a big sports fan, but just thinking in the Denver area, uh, Broncos, Nuggets, Rockies, or Avalanche, what are you following the closest? No, I love my Avalanche, even though they're at the bottom of the league. They're in the basement, but man, I do love going to hockey games. Hockey is fun to watch. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chris, great answers, great interview, man. We appreciate you taking some time to join us. And again, congratulations on a, another awesome performance at the Mile High Nets. Thank you, guys. I love being on. Uh, it's a great honor and uh, really excited to be a part of this. So thanks for having me. Very cool, man. Thank you for coming on and telling us a little bit about it. All right, Luke. So it's our time to kind of start putting a wrap on the show. And uh, we introduced this uh, segment recently. And I guess we really know what to call it. There was an opportunity to call it the, the rant or the final thought. But this week, it definitely is a final thought. And uh, you got uh, a really good topic that I hope everybody is turning up the volume and going to listen to here. What's on your mind? Yeah, I just want to circle back and, and I guess finish this episode in much the same way that we started it. Because last weekend was a painful reminder that what we do and this sport that we love is in fact dangerous. While I think we all acknowledge and accept that danger, I think as a racer, like we almost have to be, I don't know if naive is the right word, but you almost have to be naive about it to some degree. While 
we all understand that the worst could indeed happen to, to you, to me, to any of us. If we allowed those thoughts to constantly permeate our minds, we'd never strap into a race car, regardless of how quote-unquote safe we make our sport. So in the context of competition, I think we as racers tend to block out that fear or that danger. And the truth is, and I'm certain that I've read this somewhere, although I don't know the source, so I'm not going to quote it, but I assume this to be true. Our chances of injury or, or death are greater on our way to the racetrack than they are in actual competition. The likelihood of a highway accident and the severity of it dwarfs the likelihood of an on-track accident and the controlled environment and advancements in safety technology, thankfully, make instances like what we saw over the weekend the exception and not the rule. But with that said, accidents are inevitable and there's still a risk, as was demonstrated all too cruelly and all too violently over the weekend. And my takeaway is this. There are no guarantees. Not in racing, not in life. If there is anything beyond grief to be taken from this experience, it's to embrace what we've got individually, to make the most of every day that we have while we're here on, on this earth. This morning, I hugged my son. I kissed my wife. I made a conscious effort to tell the people that I love just how much I love them. Now, granted, I try to do that every single day, but as I think most of us can attest, today just felt different. And it's always different when tragedy strikes a little too close to home. And taking the initiative to do that kind of thing is important because there's no guarantee that we'll get those opportunities again. As with all of the racing community, my thoughts, prayers are with the family of Mr. Dunford and those friends who knew him best. You want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do the Kevin Brandon, light a smack across the land. Then you do the L ride. All right, guys, that wraps up episode 36. Um, I want to say thanks to our sponsors, Porta Tree, Siebert Performance, and Racing RVs. And once again, I'd like to thank Chris Whitfield for joining us this week. Great interview great, by Chris. He? Yeah, he really was. And I, I, I feel like as much as you're loving on him, he's, he's probably going to be taking my place soon. So congratulations, Chris. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> he was That's very awesome. well-spoken. I mean, I, I, I love me some Jed. You're safe. But uh, <laughs> if I was champion spark plugs, I would be very proud of my affiliation with Chris Whitfield. How about you? <laughs> no, no doubt. And as always, thanks to, to PJ North. PJ provides all of the, the music and the drops, and, and he's, uh, he's really been very helpful to us thanks pj uh be sure to to find his music out there at uh, itunes or wherever you find your music and our assistant mark romeo uh, mark again another great job this week very helpful and we appreciate all he's doing behind the scenes and if you've got ideas for the show uh, message us at uh, the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page or you can contact mark romeo uh, through facebook and guys, as we tell you, each show, we, we plan to release a show every week and we're right on pace. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in and listening and giving us something to do each week. And we ask you to please be sure to stay tuned for plenty more going forward. Yeah. And just as a reminder, wherever it is that you access this episode of the show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, 
all of those apps have an opportunity for you to subscribe. And subscribing is the way to go. Subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically be the first ones notified when we release a new episode. You'll get that straight to your phone or your listening device. Tell your friends about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. I think word of mouth is probably the best advertising that we have. And uh, as we've harped on before, get your track involved. We would love to have the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast broadcast over the PA at facilities across the country and across the continent during downtime, parking time, anytime that there's not a whole lot going on. I think um, I think our content is uh, meaningful and, and acceptable and probably be welcome by the majority of racers out there i hope anyway I'm sure and, um, no of doubt. course yeah it's awesome you guys all want to listen yeah. to it so again work with your uh, your track managers and your uh, announcers let them know that they can share this and if they do be sure to let us know we'll be sure to give uh, the racetracks a shout out on the uh, on the podcast last but not least be sure to join our facebook community um on facebook we are the sportsman drag racing podcast you can also touch base with us on twitter i'm at luke bogacki that's b-o-g-a-c-k-i and jed is at jp11x all right guys that's it for this week we hope you all have a great week certainly again thoughts and prayers to family and friends of thomas dunford and we uh bring you a little bit more positive message next week and um Again, we hope you all have a lot of success on the racetrack. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Football getting in anything. Bottom ball before pretend I'm rolling in the cutty switch and be like Jerry Today's podcast is presented in part by Portatree. Portatree is a leading manufacturer of practice trees, simulators, and test tracks. With quality products designed for racers by racers, I depend on Porter Tree for my own practice. That was awful. What am I? What am I missing there? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it sounded fine, but we'll, we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us now is one of the most talented racers on the West Coast. He is a now a two-time Mopar Mile High Nationals winner at the NHRA event at Bandemir. And most recently, getting the win this weekend in Super Comp. Please join us. Or shh, nah, it's not that. see how it works, Chris. <laughs> Are we gonna start over? Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, ThisIsBracketRacing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action. Take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, 
This is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.